Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. This feels kind of weird because I'm actually talking to a panel uh, uh, with my sort of scripted intro. But uh, today we're going to carry on the theme of property core, skill, uh, property core skills. And today we're extending the conversation around finding deals. Last week, we, we talked in outline. It was just me talking about some general principles about finding deals, finding property deals. And so I've invited a few of my mates to join me in the conversation today. So we've got uh, Sean, Dominic, David, and Carl, who are my willing victims, I mean volunteers, to help with the conversation. And, and you'll hear, I'm sure, about their different angles and perspectives and experience as we're going to have, you know, wide in the conversation. So this is in reality how people are working either to find deals for themselves and or to help find deals for other people. So um, welcome, all of you. Thanks for joining me today, first of all. Hi, Richard. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Richard. Hi. Excellent. Thank Thanks for joining me. So um, what I think we do, we're going to have a more of a conversation um, so I kind of set you up and said what, what we talked about last week, which was in outline terms, you know, where to find deals, um, pipeline progression or deal progression, deal positioning and um, vendor alignment. That's what I talked about last week. But I dare say you can add a bit of richness to either some of those themes directly or maybe some you can wind in the conversation. So let's just start maybe um, let's just go around the table if that's okay and why don't you just say a little bit about yourself just a, a you know helicopter view or elevator pitch about what you do right now so that we can understand where you're coming from whether you're an investor developer whether you're a deal finder deal source or you're you know what you're a bit of everything um, it'd be useful to get that context if, if you wouldn't mind to kick us off and people can understand when you're talking what perspective you're coming from is that okay yeah. All right. So, uh, Sean, you're off mic already. So, do you want to do you want to lead us on? Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Uh, my name's Sean Thomas. Um, I'm investing myself with a with a uh, buy to let portfolio, um, and I've also been deal sourcing now for I think we set up about two years ago now, um, along with David, who's also a, also alongside us here. Um, yeah, so that, that's what we're doing in the main now is the, the deal sourcing really and um, you know, just sort of adding to to my own portfolio as well. Sounds good. So basically you can straddle both camps, can't you? So you found deals for yourself and then now you're helping find deals for other people. Um, yes. Source yeah. and Thanks, Sean. Dominic, you, uh, you were there waiting. Um, I'll cue you in. Yeah, I don't mind going next. Uh, yeah, hi, I'm Dominic. Um, I've been investing in property uh, since about 2017, or investing in property, in property since 2017. Um, so I'm main, mostly an investor. So uh, I have a, a small buy to let, HMO, holiday let portfolio. 
um, originally started sourcing deals myself. So um, just been using Rightmove, Zoopla, all the usual portals to try and find good deals. Um, my biggest uh, challenge, though, probably is time because I have a full-time job. So that keeps me busy. So I have been progressing really to using deal sources and also, um, I guess, building relationships with uh, estate agents that I use to manage my properties and also um, like neighbours of properties already own. Um, which also a good kind of uh, potential um, source of properties if they if and when they do come to sell. Sounds good. I'm sure we'll dig into that a bit more. Thanks, Dominic. And I'm just uh, David. I can see you're ready. If you'd like yeah. to join. Yeah. Hi there. I'm I'm David. I uh, as Sean said, I, I work alongside him as a, a deal sourcer. So we have a, a deal sourcing business uh, that we set up. Yeah, roughly around two years ago, um, and yeah, we, we the, the main focus for us is deal sourcing for a, a specific set of clients. Um, so we we try and quite clearly understand the client's uh, criteria, and then we try and provide a bespoke service for that said client. Um, and then from a personal perspective, I've just gone to my, uh, I've just bought my first property, which is, uh, I consider an investment property. Um, so the idea is to yeah, currently refurbing it at the moment. And then the idea would be to let it out and, uh, try and essentially do the same thing. So I'm at the kind of the, the beginning of the ladder, uh, from a personal investing perspective as well. Interesting. And we'll maybe come back to your, uh, angle from deal sourcing that both you and Sean, um, you know, operate from, you know, you talk about being a bespoke service. So we're, that's not the only way to operate in that business, but it's a very interesting one for sure. So we'll come back to that. And um, that, that leaves Carl, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks, Richard. So I'm Carl. I've um, I've been a property investor for about 11 years now. Um, previous, most of that time has been spent um, building up a, a buy-to-let portfolio for which I've used on the whole deal sources. Um, I'm particularly interested in this conversation though, because more recently I've established a business for the purposes of uh, developing property um, via converting commercial property into residential. And a large aspect of that business is finding the deals. So that's where I've been spending a lot of my time recently. Um, Unlike Dominic, um, I do have maybe more time to to focus on this, so so um, I I am looking for deals myself. So that's um, where I spend a lot of my time is finding those leads. Sounds good. Thanks, Carl. Okay, great. So now we've got a picture, if you like, of um, who who's on this uh, episode today and where what their background is and what their sort of angle or emphasis is. So that's a bit of context, which is great. So. Um, Unless you've got any violent objections, I thought last week we talked initially about, I talked initially about rather about, you know, where to find deals. And and I kind of grouped it uh, just, you know, and, and, you know, you can correct me if you see this differently, but I grouped it as, you know, three categories, pre, um, sorry, on-market deals, pre-market opportunities and off-market opportunities. And um, I can I can elaborate on those themes and what the difference is. I mean, on and off market, you could argue well, what's the difference. You know, what are they anyway? What's genuinely off market? Um, but you know, on market was through the portals primarily, and perhaps through auction. 
um, pre-market is maybe they're going to go onto an auction or they're going to go with an agent listing of some description, but maybe through some sort of good relationship or contact, you get an early heads up or something like that. And off-market would probably be, um, you know, somebody's got an exclusive arrangement that directly mandated or you've got a direct relationship with a with the vendor or an owner. So that's the loose descriptions. But um, if I can just open that up from your perspective, you know, as a panel, where are you finding deals? Where do you operate? And um, where have you found sort of success and maybe not so much success? So whoever wants to uh, volunteer to take that one, I'll, I'll be happy. Yeah, happy to start on that one, Richard. So for me, as I, as I mentioned in, in my introduction, I've primarily focusing on commercial properties. So maybe a bit different to some of the guys on the call looking at uh, residential properties. Um, so just to keep it brief, I've I've been looking at the whole spectrum of on-market, off-market. Uh, initially, started out looking at on-market, um, on the portals, but with the commercial properties, I was finding anything that's on the portal is pretty much gone anyway already. Um, at least that's what I was finding in the office spaces, which is where we focus our attention. Um, so then I moved more into contacting commercial agents and building up those relationships. Um, I, I think that's key in, in, in doing that. Uh, and more recently, moving to on-market, um, making, making contact with the vendors, um, just just by identifying a property and trying to find out a bit more about that property. Um, yeah, so more off-market at the end there, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So I, I can expand on some of those a bit more. But, um, well, yeah. just, just one point of clarification, if I may. You say you're looking for commercial properties, but are you are you looking for commercial property to leave as commercial property or uh, reading between the lines? I think that's not necessarily the case for you, is it? No, no, yeah, yeah. To convert into residential. So, yeah. Yeah, so um, it, it obviously needs to meet certain criteria. It needs to be, in, um, be able to be converted. Um typically under permitted development. Um, so that immediately rules out certain types of properties. Mm. Well, it's interesting. So, I mean, you've gone, you you started with a lot of the portals, you moved then to talking to agents and now you're moving to talk to, you know, owners and vendors directly. So you've kind of gone through, you know, a bit of a process there by the sound of it. Yeah, yeah. We we still focus on all of those areas, maybe less so on the portals, um, but we, it, it what I find is it's kind of a balancing act. You don't want to spend too much time in one particular area mm. at the moment. Maybe we're too much off market. And the reason I say too much is because quite a lot of the opportunities we're finding, we're, we're just simply too early. And yeah. we start getting into conversations where we're almost having to convince the vendor about selling because they've got the idea of selling. So that we've, we've got the hook, we've got them on the hook and we've got the, we're starting a conversation. But then you have to start aligning the expectations on on what it's worth and there's a whole whole journey there which is i mean to be honest is the kind of the bread and butter of the commercial agents and it's what what they're paid to do so um it ha there are there are opportunities but um yes yeah, it's, it's a balancing act we're finding mm. okay thanks so let's just bring other people into the conversation you know in terms of where to find deals um david i saw you came off mute which is always a very helpful sign for me that we're ready to talk Yes. Yeah, no, I, I think, um, I mean, Sean and I, we've, we've had uh, kind of a mix of experience. Um, so 
certainly at the start, we were very much looking on market deals. Um, and I think as, as everyone probably would testify, trying to find a good on, on market deal is, is very challenging. It's either just you're finding trying to find a needle in a haystack or it's just the, the speed of transaction of, of those good ones tends to be, you, you see it and it's already gone. Um, so we, we then developed our strategy to being a bit more direct to the, the agents, um, trying to, uh, a few reasons for that. Mainly, uh, we weren't at that time looking to spend too much money. Uh, so as a, as a really brand new startup, we were looking to try and build our way and build our capital, uh, through, through doing business. Uh, so going out to given our, our tailored offering, which, you know, Richard, you said we'll go into later. Um, we had clients looking all over the place, so we couldn't really target one location to do a off market set, you know, social media drive. So targeting agents was a, a strategy that we adopted and, uh, it seems to over time, uh, with re repetition and a, a bit of persistence and consistency, um, has proven to be quite fruitful for us. Uh, and now we find ourselves getting deals that are uh, kind of pre-market. So that they will go onto the market and that may be 40 hours, 24 hours a week sometimes. Um, but we get a, a first look at it. Uh, and often the agents will refer to their black book. And, and for some agents, I think we're, we're in that, in that category and, and definitely, um, an area we want to be and we've really been focusing on. Um, and then also Pete, speaking from a personal perspective, uh, I, I, when I was looking for my house initially, I was looking on market and I knew the exact area I was looking for. Um, so I could have tried to do off market, uh, or an off market strategy. Uh, but given it was when, when, when I was looking, it was COVID, um, uh, kind of peak time. Uh, it was uh, kind of a tricky patch to e e go up to the, the area that I was looking for. So, again, I tried to adopt a similar strategy that we adopted in the business, which was develop good relationships with local agents. Um, and then, funnily enough, that's how I actually managed to find the property I've, I've now recently purchased, which was through an agent who – it was a listing coming to market, I think it was 24 hours or 48 hours before, um, managed to get me into to view it. Uh, I made a, an offer which was accepted and they listed it and then it immediately it was sold over its contract. So yeah, nice. kind of, yeah, there we go. Nice one. Um, yeah, there's a couple of things you said there. I think I would like to delve in, but I think let's pause for a second on the, you know, working with agents things, uh, piece that you talked about. So I think we've kind of picked up the theme that on market through the portals is not always the best method. It, it doesn't necessarily need that. And I'll come back to why. But um, so you start to look at a different one. So, David, just to pause on what you're saying, you're saying you develop relationships with agents. But did you find that all agents were willing to talk to you and, you know, put you in, in their black book? Did, did it go that way or did, you know, did you have to kiss a few frogs, so to speak? How did you how did you find that experience? A, a mixed bag. <laughs> for sure for sure um and i mean with the with the way how me and sean operate i think uh sean can vouch for for, for the agencies tried to develop um nine times out of ten they won't really give you time of day uh because they because they've got so much time um well traction emails that they're very busy and 
I think for, for us, how we made it work was if we, you know, initially it was a, a long slog. Um, we, we had to really go above and beyond to impress the agent. So everything had to be fast. Our responses was what had to be fast. If we f- found a deal that we liked, we presented a pack that was ready to go, um, which essentially contained all the information they would need to essentially get an offer accepted. So that would be proof of funds, uh, proof of ID from the from the client, uh, obviously what the offer was. In some instances, we'd have solicitor's details as well. So we'd have a full pack to, and you know, the first few, we still didn't get those deals, but it showed the agent that we were a serious uh, kind of counterparty and it slowly started to gain traction and actually speaking to them probably sometimes every day, uh, just asking them how they're doing, how they find the market, getting them talking because they have a huge amount of knowledge because they're the, really the guys on the ground. And uh, yeah, it, after a while, it, it started to, to, to get through to them. Hmm. Interesting. And Sean, I think you're looking like you want to contribute to that. Yeah, I, I was just going to say really some of those some of those relationships took five or six months of us, you know, dealing with those agents to um for them to actually take us seriously. Um but then like David mentioned there about the you know being ready with being prepared with everything to go so you can act act quickly. Um but I think that also um we also had to follow that through through the sales process as well you know we're dealing with any any sort of queries in between in between agents and clients and um you know reply to everything in a timely manner there as well you know i think that's uh, that's worked well for us as well because you know they could see that we were quite professional in in that manner I think it's a key phrase, isn't it? It's about being professional. Um, and I think you, you're talking about not just with the offer stage, you're also talking about sales progression to completion, right? Um, it can be quite a, an extended and involved process, can't it? Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So um, uh, those of you can't you can't see because um, I'm looking at the screen, but you, you might be listening to the podcast. I mean, Sean probably had a full head of hair when he started this. Uh, <laughs> two years ago, he's, uh, he's maybe pulled it all out. Um, I think I, I, I listened in or was aware of a few of the deals that you were progressing, and you know it was it was a bit fractious at times or a bit challenging to say the least, right? Yes, yeah, they, uh, we had our challenges, but um, I mean. Yeah, you, you just find uh, find solutions, don't you? And uh, mm. you know, you you've just got to work together with uh, with all the parties involved. So you, you, it's interesting. So you, there's a couple of things came out there. So between you, kind of said talked about the professional approach, right? Um, you know, showing your capability to execute, etc. That you were serious, and even though you didn't get the first one or two deals, it demonstrated that capability. Um, which I thought was interesting. And you also talked a little bit about relationship, you know, um, how that you got them talking and you spoke to them regularly. It's all about building rapport, building a relationship, um, which is another factor. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, getting yourself in with some local agents. And, you know, did you did you ever take donuts around or anything like that? Um, was that was that your style or did you have a different approach? I didn't. I don't know about Sean, but... Uh... <laughs> 
No. Um, I mean, most of the time we've been, uh, I mean, how long have we got uh, through the pandemic now? So uh, a lot of that hasn't been possible, has it? But maybe no. we should start. <laughs> no, but no, I think on a serious note, it's it's been, I can think of a handful that we've developed now to, to where they are now. And uh, you know, we've, we've spoken, you know, on WhatsApp and email at least every week. Um, but it's just that regularity and it, and it's having a conversation with them. It's more, not just, um, trying to say what, what deals have you got that fit our criteria. It's, it's actually asking them, you know, what, what's their view on the, on, on the current market in the, in the area that they specialize and how are they doing? And is there anything that we can help them with, uh, in terms of, you know, anything, any stock that's not shifting, um, just trying to get a conversation with them because for us, given the criteria that we have with our clients, we, we need to be careful with what we send through to the clients um, because not everything not everything hits. But if we're able to get deals that uh, you know are close or at least we have visibility on a deal that we may not otherwise have, that can open up other avenues and other opportunities. Um, and you know, in some instances, you can value engineer a deal to work for for, for all parties wow. interesting i'll come back to value engineering definitely um because you know I, I, in the preamble before we started talking i was talking about you know the holy grail of discount but let's uh, maybe come back to that point because i'm conscious dominic you haven't you know managed to talk on this one yet so really just to bring you in about where you're finding deals and your approach to it you know because you're looking for yourself effectively um, so just elaborate a little bit on where you're finding them, if you could. Yeah, so I, I think it's kind of some, if not most, has already been covered. Um, so at the moment, I'm using deal sources a lot, especially working with David and Sean. Um, so as I mentioned at the start, the time is my biggest kind of uh, uh, restriction at the moment. So I've been using deal sources to, to kind of uh, delegate some of the work, I guess. Um, so that's where I've been finding deals recently. Um, prior to that, it was I was searching for myself on the portals. So that's already been mentioned as well. So I was generally looking around places where or places that I knew, or um, places where I already had a property. Um, so using the portals to try and find other places in those areas, um, and then also building relationships. So um, the properties that I own, they're all kind of managed by agents, selecting agents. So generally speaking to those, see what other properties that are available. Uh, anything else in those areas um and then also one property that we purchased a flat um it was upstairs flat so we did a refurb on it um and we kind of built a relationship with the lady downstairs um no uh you know no kind of uh prior kind of motives or anything but um you know we just kind of consider it to the work we we're doing and everything and she had a couple of issues so we kind of resolved that you know as quickly as we could um and then a few months later she um she got in touch and said she wanted to sell her flat and were we interested so before it even went on market um, she had it valued and we, we offered her like a, a bit less than she had it valued for so she obviously stayed, saved on the estate agent's fees and, and we got a good property as well that's, that's just yeah, the value of those relationships those relationships absolutely i think you know um having conversations developing relationships is very much a people orientated approach um, and I know that 
pretty well, uh, maybe with the exception of Carl, but I think a lot of you are working a little bit remotely. I mean, we've all had to work remotely, right, during the pandemic, as Sean said. But um, some of you are working remotely anyway from the investment location or, or your client's investment location. So a lot of it had to be done, you know, a little bit at arm's length. Just, Dominic, just come back to your point about um, using sources because, uh, you know, that's one of the angles that as an investor you have as an option. So you said you were, I mean, my my translation was you were time poor. Um, so what was the value, if you like, that you see in using uh, a saucer? Because presumably there's a fee involved, right? Yes, there is. But I, I think you can always make more money, but you can never make more time. So I'd rather use my time doing other things. I mean, I'm busy at work anyway. It's not like I have loads of free time. Um, mm -hmm. So I've been quite lucky to to be still working through the pandemic, but if anything, I'm probably busier now than I was before. Um, so uh, yeah, there is a fee obviously when using sources, but as long as the deal still works, uh, that fee, as long as you factor that fee in, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Um, you've saved a lot of time on searching several properties, and some of them won't pan out. Um, most of the sources already done that work for you, and then brings you the kind of the one or two deals that do work. Um, and then obviously, you, you know, just as long as you include their fee and, you know, the yield or the, uh, gross profit or is, um, still acceptable, then yeah, it's, you know, it's still a good deal. Yeah. And, and, um, so there's a, there's a value in somebody else saving your time. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. All right. Um, so just let's, let's just dive back to you guys, David and Sean, because you talk. We I kind of you, you started talking about, and I said we'll come back to it. Let's get let's get it on the table. So your model. Um, so a lot a lot of deal sources have a patch. Okay, they have their their territory, and you know they literally walk the streets probably. But that's not necessarily how you go about things. So why don't you just sort of share a little bit about that? Um, yes. So we. Um we want to be working with, uh, you know, ideally in our business plan, it's, it's around 10, 10 or so roughly, uh, clients. Um, there's, there's part rationale in the, in the reason that we, we both, uh, work as well. Um, but I think that the main thing is we, uh, and the core reason is we want to develop close relationships with those that we source for. Um, not only just because it helps us to actually understand what they're looking for so we can send a better uh, you know opportunity but also longevity so we would like to uh, repeat clients um and rather than spending time looking for uh new clients we're just purely spending all of our energy looking for deals um because you know some some when we were starting out we were having to spend energy on both sides of the of the puzzle and uh now we've built up a, a client base that you know we're in terms of size we're happy with um we're, we're trying to put all of our energy into sourcing for uh investors that we yeah that we're able to source for and i think in terms of like geographics yes most clients have a uh most clients will have an idea of what they're looking for fundamentally in terms of buy to let, holiday let, uh, HMO. Uh, and most clients will have an idea of uh, exactly what kind of return they would want. Um, 
interestingly, a lot of clients are quite open in terms of what they are looking for geographically uh, or are very similar. So it actually isn't as kind of staggering as it as it may seem because a lot of the clients will be looking for deals that will produce a certain return and are of a certain profile, whether that be a buy to let, holiday let, which allows us to then really focus in on a you know probably more patches than you know another strategy would be but we we with the development of the agents that we've built um it you know it actually doesn't really add too much more work now and and from that as well we've done a lot of research earlier on in our kind of business life cycle that's allowed us to build up really good knowledge of those of a good amount of areas so we can quite flexibly say to a, a client do you have experience of I don't know, Nottingham, shall we say. Uh, and we can say yes with certainty. So we can then, you know, go to Nottingham and have two agents that we have a relationship with. Um, and and yeah, that, that's how we've built it up over time. But it has taken time. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting. And um, thanks for sharing the model. And I didn't realise that you could, you know, you've managed to hone it in into some, you know, not not just one patch, but not 100 patches. Let's say that. So yeah. yeah. Interesting. But um were you gonna answer that? Sorry. No, I, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. Okay. And I would but I want to contrast really with Carl because um I think you're you're a bit more concentrated, are you not, in terms of location? Is that fair to say? Yeah, so I focus within about an hour or two of where I am. So all of the opportunities I look at I can travel to work to pro- progress to the the point of where we're going to view it um so I'm primarily sourcing for myself but um I do sometimes obviously pass on any leads that aren't suitable for me but um yeah in terms of geography that's that's quite important for me because um it's, it's not just investment it's a development opportunity so beyond finding the beyond finding the site, we've then got to um, develop it. And um, we'd be, be there um, probably several times a month to, to progress the development. And then beyond that, it, it, it may turn into an investment if we were to hold on excess. Um, but the other, other aspect I like of um, it being fairly close is, is coming back to building relationships with developers because you have the opportunity to meet the the agents on site and, and build up those relationships, have those conversations. And you can't really be meeting someone in person, like having a face-to-face conversation about something versus um, exchanging a few emails or having a phone conversation. That's one thing I like about that aspect of it, meeting on site. Yeah, and so that just to drill into that a little bit more, I mean, um, the relationship is nice, but does it? What does it give you? What does it? You know, does it give you something that you know you don't have otherwise by having that relationship? What, what what's the outcome? What's the end game of developing that relationship? Pretty much what David and Sean were saying about being taken seriously. So we spent quite a lot of our early days when looking for leads, 
it's kind of maybe being a bit too systematic and just kind of getting all the leads in as quickly as possible and analyzing them as quickly as possible. But then we weren't following through on some of them. So leads would come in and we're okay, it was not quite right for us. And then we just let it drift away. Um, and then you find the relationship starts to drift away because if you, you need to kind of start thinking about putting yourself in the other person's shoes. So we use sources as well. So imagine um, there's a source of sending me opportunities and I'm kind of half-heartedly acknowledging and thanking them for these opportunities and not really following through on all of them versus if I'm really eager and keen and saying, yep, love this opportunity, I'll get back to you tomorrow and the whole engagement piece. And so that, that translates both whether you're dealing with someone via email or phone calls, but then also if you're trying to build up that relationship with agents, that ability to meet them on site, certainly when you're getting to know the agents really helps, I, I think. Um, maybe once once you know them, um, meeting them on site isn't, su- it isn't one of the higher priorities for actually going to view the site. So initially we'd view quite a lot of sites with half of the objective being to meet the agents and being to, to have those conversations. Once you've had those conversations and, and, and you know them, the, the, the objective for going to view a property is just to view it in case. So um, you can be a bit more selective there. Mm, interesting. And I think um, I probably want to talk in a minute because somebody said earlier about good deals. So I'm going to come back to that. Um, so you can start thinking about that. But maybe just to bring Dominic back. And um, Dominic, you talked about working with agents, but you've worked with agents in a couple of different ways, haven't you? So just to build on the whole relationship with agents thing, how have you kind of taken that on? How has it helped you in, in your business? Um, I, well, I mean, obviously a good agent is uh, worth the weight in gold. So like I said before, my properties are fully managed. So um, whenever I um, take on a property, I obviously look for a good agent and to manage it for me. Um, so be that buy to let or um, uh, HMO, um, you know, you're always kind of selective in the agents we choose. Um, but also I've had a couple of refurbs um, done where I've let the agent kind of manage those for me. Um, so again, it's always find a good agent in this case or one I have, which is just about finished now. It's only, I mean, it's only a small refurb, but still stripping everything back and plastering and new carpets and everything. Um, but I found a good agent and um, actually, yeah, they haven't charged me anything yet. I've obviously paid for the works to be done. Um, but I've built up a relationship with them. Um, it was their suggestion actually to do to do a refurb. So I was like, okay, fine. Um, and then they've took it on. Yeah, so it will be. I think they've already got someone to move in once the work's complete. So um, yeah, win all round. Yeah, so a win all round. Absolutely, it's about being you know reciprocating. Carl said earlier that if you don't give a, you know the feedback to the source or the agent, you know. You, then they lose interest. You're not really giving anything to them. And at the end yeah. of the day, they get paid on results. So if they don't sell yeah. something. This this refurb put the price up a little bit over the rent. So obviously then they, they 
cut also goes up as well. So yeah, so that's everybody. And just to be clear, in that case, your case, Dominic, you're talking about a letting agent, are you? Yes, letting agent there. Yeah. Yeah. So working. So I talked last week about you know letting agents being. Well, I actually talked about them being potential source of deals to buy, but you know yeah. in your case, you, you've also used the letting agent to be a kind of a project manager almost. Uh, yes. Property uh, updated. Yeah, but yeah, definitely. But it's also about building those relationships. So. I would hope that as a, as we build this relationship, if any deals do come up that might be suitable, he'd, he'd put them my way as well. So, you know, that's something I'll speak to him about also once we kind of progress a bit further. Which also just speaks to playing the long game, right? Playing the long game. Indeed. You know, so give something back to them so they can give something back to us in the future, et cetera. And it's all nice and symbiotic, you know, the way it yeah. goes. Absolutely, yeah. So once, once he learns to trust me and that I deliver and, you know, pay on time and all that kind of stuff, then, yeah, work together more hopefully that's the way i kind of see these relationships with all the agents and people that i'm working with sounds good okay um so i kind of dropped that didn't i I said we're going to talk about good deals somebody talks about good deals and you know i'd be interested in your view what a good deal is but there's two things that kind of came into my mind to maybe talk about in this segment one is um good deals not every deal is a good deal so by definition that talks about some sort of you know, filtering system, cascading system that you don't get every single offer accepted type of thing. So good deals, you know, are hard to find by maybe. Um, this is my, you know, I'm just putting it out there. Um, and therefore, do you need some sort of system um, which, you know, um, tracks them and, you know, measures them, etc., and, you know, allows you to follow through, question mark. But the second part of it is what's the definition of a good deal? Because, and again, before we started, you know, recording for the for the episode, I started talking about, you know, the holy grail to a lot of property investors is BMV, below market value, which is big discounts, you know, typically plus or minus 20% discounts. Um, and that seems to be the holy grail that people are looking for. But I also speculated last time that maybe that's not the only definition of a good deal. So, you know, what is a good deal, which is really the second part? And then first part is, well, you know, what do you need to do to find those good deals? And then how do you kind of manage yourself? How do you manage your deal flow if that's what you're looking at? So who wants to start us off on that kind of uh, part of the conversation? I, th- I think as, as far as Dave and I are concerned with, I mean, you asked the question there, what is a good deal? And I mean, it, it it's different for everybody, isn't it? Everybody has different, uh, their own criteria. Um, you know, some clients may be happy with nine, 10% return. Others will be looking for 12 to 15. That obviously varies on, you know, depending on what strategy they're, you know, they're looking for. But, um, you know, so we kind of go on the basis of what is a good deal what is a good deal for them and you know what what is a good deal for them may not be a good deal for for you say but it, it's it's their criteria that we work off um and then you know you you sort of touched on 20 percent bmv there which you know is is not always possible um but there are there are other ways to go about that like um you know, sort of looking for a, a value add opportunity. You know, how can I 
how can we add value to you know to this property to to increase that return on it and the um, you know the end value exactly so you know I mean there's more that you know if we talk about the deal pie I call it but you know discounts one element of it but it's not necessarily the only element and um, you know you're finding a deal might not be just hunting for a discount it could be hunting for value as you say could be could be other things got a guest on the recording which caught me out there there's a there's a picture of a cat if you don't know what i'm talking about not a picture of a cat it's an actual cat um who's just crept into carl's screen there you go, there you go. so we've got real live animals don't don't work with animals and children as they say <laughs> yeah sure and that's good you know talk about maybe um, what is what is a good deal for the client and you said return and but what is return because you know some people, we, I, I know that in this community, we, we talk about return being return on investment or return on cash employed, if, if you like. But do all the investors you talk to use that same language as their measures of return? No, no, certainly not. Um, like you said, most most use sort of a return on investment, but, you know, that isn't always the case. It's uh, everyone's different. Mm. You know, it's uh, there's a wide spectrum, isn't there? You've got to look at all all angles as well yeah exactly so you know carl probably looking at you here because i kind of know a little bit of the answer to this question but um did have you when you said you were out looking for deals for that fit your criteria etc um did you just walk in and find one and have an offer accepted or was it a little bit harder than that yeah so that's, that's a pretty epic challenge getting offers accepted in this market um I mean, for for us, like, the, I mean, it's probably going to start getting on the deal analysis conversation. But we um, we obviously apply different criteria and keep digging and digging. I think you probably mentioned layers of the onion. So we we um, kind of keep on peeling those layers until we we um, find an opportunity that's, that we find, think is good. Um, so at many points a deal could get thrown out so right from the off when you first look at it in your inbox um for us a, a bad deal would be something that's industrial for example we can't do anything with that um uh, and then it, it, you just keep going down and down from there just kind of keep on seeing it is this a good deal um one one thing one challenge i i find is um you talk about um, talk about what you're looking for with the the agents. Um, can you explain what you're looking for? But then you get sent so many things that aren't suitable, and for me that's a bit of a challenge because um, you just feel a bit um, like you're not disin a bit disinterested or ungrateful when you're constantly saying, uh, "Yeah, this isn't for us." But I think you've just got to be be pretty open with people and. And maybe to keep reminding them once in a while, and obviously you got you end up on a lot of mailing lists, so maybe that's where where it, where it comes from sometimes. But yeah, not a, not every deal is suitable. Um, you just need to make that decision as quickly as possible, move on to the next one, not waste too much time on it. So there's a fallout rate, maybe. Yeah, either you say no, or maybe I guess you don't have your offer accepted, or maybe it's not a suitable um, target for you. Um, how do you keep tabs of things, Carl? Oh wow! Um, so, so we we use 
Um, we use a couple of different systems for tracking opportunities. Um, so all of the stuff that gets rejected pretty early doesn't really make it out of the email inbox. Um, anything that progresses further uh, will make it into uh, our CRM, which we use, which is Podio. And then we have um, a category for a different stage. So it, it will work its way through the stages. Um, and that, that's how we track all of the off-market leads as well. We put all the off-market leads and keep on tracking them through as, as we keep on trying to push them through. Um, and then we also use, um, we, we capture some metrics week by week as to how many opportunities we've inquired about, how, what responses we've back, had back. Um, so we, we do try and track metrics as well so we can kind of hone in on things. So for example, um, one thing that we do, which is fairly relevant to this conversation, is we keep track of the source of an opportunity. Was it off market, on market from an agent? Um, and and then when we're looking back at what off, what offers we made, we can start to see where are we we're having the most success. Where what types of deals have we made the most offers on? Which ones were the most serious? Because sometimes a deal might look good, but then it doesn't doesn't come to much. Um, so yeah, there's many different ways in which we track we track those. That sounds good. Uh, just a quick one on the uh, systems and processes. I think a lot of you use systems and processes, actually. I think uh, I've managed to gather a group of people who uh, lean on that quite a bit. But what it, you know, let's bring you in, Dom, again. You know, what, what are you using? Do you, do you track the opportunities in some kind of system? Yes. So I use Notion a lot. So I'm a big fan of Notion. Um, I find that's great if you can customize that and do pretty much uh, anything you want with that. Um, so I use Notion and Google Sheets pretty much. So I track everything in Notion and use Google Sheets to do kind of the number crunching and the analysis in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I set up Kanban boards and pipelines in Notion. And uh, yeah. And it, just for those who that. don't necessarily know, because I think Notion's one of those sort of newer um types of apps or technologies um what, what how would you describe it um it's like it's uh, i wouldn't quite say it's note-taking but um you can any thoughts you have any anything you want to build you can just create a page in notion um and everything's like an object so you can have a piece of text and you know have a table below it and uh a link to something else and drag them all around um, put them wherever you want, have a Kanban board, and you can embed that in another page. Um, another page, pages within pages, yeah, it's kind of, it's a very powerful tool. And does it have um, date functions so you can have reminders and things like that? Uh, yes. So a lot of the boards I have set up, I, you can def- define the properties in each card so you can have anything you want in there. And you, like I said, you can have pages so you can embed other other files and everything in there if you want to build your uh, your, your system. But yeah, so I've got some things there with dates and then you can add a date and you can add a reminder as well. So you can turn the reminder on and off. Um, so it's really, really useful about that, really powerful. And does it have any mechanism to like count or add up or, you know, do some sort of quantification side of it? Uh, within, you can do, yes. So um, I have a very kind of basic um uh, analysis kind of page in there so you just put in some basic figures like, like i said i use google for the heavy number crunching but um i can quickly create a card in in one of the pages i have in notion put in some figures and it just, just gives me a rough idea of the, of the yield and whatnot um but they have now just 
extended it so they've opened up the API. So um, I think that might be um, you might be able to use that to do more powerful um, yeah. uh, calculations with. But I haven't explored that side of it yet. And I was aware. I, I'm aware at top level that you can do similar things with Podio. Not not the you know. I think the look and feel of Notion is more like. I think it's more like an intranet almost. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you can have, um, like on the left, you've got your, what's it called, like your navigation stuff. So you've got all these different pages, you can embed pages, and pages, um, like I said. And yeah, you can link and, and, you, and you can build it out for teams as well. So you can add you can add um, members to it and you can add co- leave comments for each other. So it's, it's a team tool as well. It's not just for individuals. And you can assign tasks to people, that kind of stuff. So it's a pro- project and task management tool as well. Yeah, yeah, you can use it for that. You can pretty much use it for whatever you want. Cool. And uh, David and Sean, do you know just on the sort of deal progression, pipeline progression, do you track what you're doing and what do you use? Yeah, so we, we similar to Carl, we use Podio um, and Google Sheets. So we've got we have a few systems uh, for for different different things uh, but specifically for deal tracking um uh, yeah as carl said we we won't record every single deal because that's what we would be spending our lives doing um Mm -hmm. so we will really only record a deal once we've done a, a financial appraisal um and and kind of thought yes this works we'll then put it into our podio system and then again as carl said we it's uh kind of goes through the goes through the life cycle um but we also record and, and track uh deals on a, on a higher level uh with kind of key dates just on on google sheets as well just for um more to help us with things uh i, I know you can do it in podio we haven't had made it that advanced yet uh but for things like mail merge so if there are deals that we have uh at, either made an offer on, gone to see, um, and for whatever reason we've not uh, kind of been successful, uh, we will then try and track that and uh, often we'll try and record the details of the agent uh, in a Google sheet and then we can do a mail merge, a mass mail merge um, or a unique mail merge depending on what the, the circumstances. Okay, so a bit of systems taught there, which is um, good for some. Um, just conscious with the timings, and I think you know uh, we probably can't do everything justice. Now, just to stress, you know, uh, no one here is doing heavy direct to vendor, you know, marketing activities. Uh, I, I don't think particularly, you know, Facebook ads, letters, leaflets, you know, those those kind of uh, activities. I think Sean, I remember you telling me about doing what the Americans call driving for dollars um, at one point. I don't know if you still are. Yes, yeah. I mean, that's more of um, a local thing. Um, you'd be surprised how many properties you actually see that are sort of empty or in a rundown, you know, rundown state uh, when you're just walking around or or driving around. So, any any kind of um, sort of uh, mail that we've sent, direct mail, has sort of come from that strategy, really. So it's it's highly targeted. Um, and to be honest with you, the, the the reply rate that we get from that is, uh, you know, is it, fairly high because it's, you know, we're not sending out hundreds of letters, but um, yeah. So 
I, I still do that. It's uh, it's uh, it definitely works. And I've got a vision. I think you remember saying at one point that you you were riding with your son on the back of the bike. Is that right? Um, yeah, that, that's right. Uh, ride, riding with my son in the, uh, on the back of the bike with um, and sort of listing any um, any properties that I've seen on um, Siri on my phone. Oh, really? <laughs> then go and uh, just to record sort of the mainly the road or or the address of them. Well, that's a first, I've never heard of that, you know. So basically, on your bike, the sun on the back, you know, um, speaking to Siri when you see an empty property and then sending him a letter. That, there's a system, all right? Hands free, of course. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, no children were harmed in the making of this uh, <laughs> this uh, system. Cool. Um, I kind of want to do some kind of wrap up now because of just because of the time. Um, so maybe what I'll do is just go around the table and. I guess any top tips or do's and don'ts is kind of what's on my mind. As regards, obviously, the topic is deal finding. Um, you know, what have you learned? What would you suggest to other people who are looking to either develop, you know, find deals for themselves or alternatively even find deals for other people? And, you know, any sort of do's and don'ts. So I'll let you answer it how you wish, but um, just to kind of draw a conclusion to our conversation, that would be a neat way to do that, perhaps. Yeah. I guess um, I guess my top tips would be um, one on you know building relationships, uh, put the time and effort into you know to dealing with agents and you know even vendors if you could direct a vendor, um, you know really put an emphasis on that and then also um, in terms of tracking everything, make sure you follow up. Um, the you know direct to vendor deals that we've had they've they've always come from a follow up some maybe five six months afterwards um, yeah so always follow up on on deals that you think you know even if you think they may have gone just follow up until you uh, until you know they've gone good advice thank you yeah, I'd I'd reiterate that a little bit in terms of um, building relationships with people, but I'd also add maybe don't go with the kind of mindset of I'm going to find a deal or this person is going to find me a deal. I think maybe it needs to be a bit more natural and longer term than that. Um, so just try and yeah, build relationships with people and work with other people as well, like sources if, uh, if you're time poor like myself. It's a people business. People think Indeed. it's a property business, but it's actually a people yeah. business, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and take the long-term view, quite like that. Absolutely. So, David, I can see you coming ready to speak. <laughs> yeah, no, I, w I won't repeat the relationship point. Um, I, th I think that's been uh, already said. I think my top tips are that there is no one way of finding a property. Um, that, that I think as this conversation and many other talks you, you'll note that there's many ways of finding property and as we said earlier there are everyone has a, a different view on what's a good deal and what's not so i think from a sourcing perspective is really understand what your client is looking for um and uh if you're doing a mass 
kind of if you're if you're not adopting a, a personalized approach, if you're doing to mass uh, clients, as it were, like a mail a, a mail base or something, um, make sure that what you're presenting is is clear and you know understandable. Uh, keep keep it very high level and keep it uh, just easy to digest. Um, and I think the, the one don't I have is, uh, from personal experience and, and Sean will certainly reiterate this is, uh, if you're sourcing that don't, don't give up, <laughs> it's a, it's a hard game, but it's, you know, it does, it does pay off and it's, uh, it, you know, everyone's different. Everyone has, you know, different su- successes at different stages, but over the long term, and if you keep nailing down on your one strategy, um, it will, it will pay off. Sounds good. Actually, neither you, Sean, or David mentioned the word compliance or compliance sources. So um, is that not a do or a don't? I don't know. Definitely a, a do. Always um, always make sure that your deal sourcer is compliant, I would say. Um, I, I think a lot of deal sources just register with um, with the relevant bodies and think, think that's it then they're they're all compliant but um you know there's a lot of stuff that goes after that sort of written risk assessments and policies and procedures need to be in place um i think a top tip there i think with um on initial contact with it with a deal source and make sure that they are asking you you know about your your goals your experience funds and even sort of the source of your funds, which, you know, it, it can seem quite intrusive, but that's all part of um, the know your client. They should know those uh, those details. And then obviously after that, you can go and do your your own due diligence on, on that deal sourcer. I was wondering if it was going to come into the conversation. And um, I was also, if I was going to put a pound bet on it, I thought Sean might be the man who would uh, talk about it. So uh, thanks for sharing that. It's a demonstration of um, of a level of professionalism after all, isn't it? And I think that came out earlier in the conversation anyway. Um, thanks for that, Sean. Um, we won't tap you up anymore on the flow charts that you've probably got um, to support what you're saying there, but I know that you have them. <laughs> it's, it's all exciting stuff. <laughs> exactly and Carl what about you then so help us round up uh, do's don'ts top tips etc yeah so um yeah out of those headings I wanted to pick up on maybe something I've learned which is to iterate um so coming back to your question around how do we gather what metrics do we gather um so using using that information to feed back into the system so you can iterate and improve and um, for us, kind of find for me, that's finding a balance on kind of where where you focus your energy and your time to get the best results. Um, in terms of a tip, um, kind of tying into the the suggestions of following up is um, one thing I've found is if once you've identified an opportunity that you you think is a good deal, that maybe you're a bit off the mark and you think, well, this isn't going to, going to work. Um, sometimes it's worth sticking with it and just putting your stake in the ground and stating to the agent or the vendor what your position is. Because you might get rejected first time round, but then if you do then follow up, 
you might find yourself in a position where their expectations have changed. Maybe they've softened a bit. Um, maybe they've come to their senses a bit. And your offer is still on the table. Certainly, if you haven't changed your position, um, then you can be seen as credible and reliable. And, um, yeah, maybe it does come back around. That's, that's happened to me a few times. Um, we're just following up and it comes back around sometimes. That's a really good point. I think, you know, in the in our industry generally, there's a lot of hype. And I think, you know, some sometimes people have got a false expectation for whatever reason about the value of their property. And, you know, maybe they have to have their uh, expectations realigned. But if you um, if you're professional in, in the way you evaluate the deal and quantify your offer, and you make a credible um, you know research backed if I can say that offer, then it might come back around. In fact, nearly all of you have kind of talked about things coming back around, um, which has to be one of the biggest takeaways, right? Along with David's, don't give up, of course. Um, so things coming back around. The other thing I would say is this: I was talking to someone recently. And they said they had their funds ready to invest for 18 months. Now, they had them ready. They could show proof of funds and they could show a snapshot of their statement every month for 18 months. Now, broadly speaking, what sort of return were they getting on those funds? In the bank. Yep. Nothing. Nothing. Exactly. So that's the interesting thing. When we were talking earlier about return expectations and what's a good deal, um, you know, if you're waiting for the perfect deal uh, to come along and you've got your funds on deposit for 18 months at 0%, uh, just to pick a number, if you were looking for a 20% return um, and you've got your funds locked up for 12 months at zero, you, you've already halved your return expectations, haven't you, when you find your 20%. But maybe if you modify slightly your return expectations to get your funds working for you, I think that would be one of my top tips. Because I often hear that, that people don't actually invest. They can be ready to invest. And maybe for whatever reason, a bit like a vendor with high expectations about what they can sell their property for, maybe as an investor or developer, we might have too high expectations about what we can, what we're going to get as a return. So um, I'm not saying we should do a return at 2% because we otherwise earn one, uh, non, non percent, no percent. But um, I think, you know, just thinking about putting our funds to use and the deal being good enough and getting going is, is one of the, you know, I sometimes hear that a lot. People are being ready to invest for a while but haven't actually pulled the trigger, so to speak. Great. All right. Um, just in the conscious of time, I broke my own rule. I said we'd aim for 45 minutes. It's a little bit longer than that. Um, but I just you know, want to thank you all for joining me today, as always. Um, very, very good conversation. Uh, very valid points that have all come out. Um, it's really hard to add to anything you've said. So Dominic, Carl, David and Sean, I really appreciate you joining me today. I'm going to do just a quick... Uh, well, you, you can jump in if you want. I saw you ready, Sean. You can jump in and say something. No, you're past. Okay, so I'm just going to... They're all waving at me. I feel I feel a bit left out now. They're all waving at me and smiling and laughing now. So all I'm going to say is thanks very much for listening once again this week to the Property Voice uh, podcast. The show notes are going to be over the website, which is thepropertyvoice.net. Uh, you can always contact me, podcast, at thepropertyvoice.net. If you want to talk about anything from today's show, including talking to these lovely gentlemen in front of me, I'm happy to introduce you if you'd like to meet them, as long as they're willing to share their contact details, of course. 
But, you know, thanks again for listening this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.